Okay, so ever since the beginning of the year, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation, which is, uh, and this is my uh, final year uh, of ministry, and I waited until now to deal with this uh, very difficult and um, confusing book. So, uh, if you are just jumping into the middle of this, uh, I'm sure that you'll be able to uh, make some sense of some of it. But I don't, ex- don't. I hope that you don't feel like you have to understand everything because we're in chapter, we're finishing up chapter 18 and beginning chapter 19 today. So we're very far into the book already, and we'll be finishing in December, Lord willing. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, the world of which John speaks in this verse is depicted in his book of Revelation in in a vision as a great prostitute tempting seducing and enticing people away from Christ the great prostitute is also referred to as Babylon the great now I know that's confusing here you have a woman and a city who are the same and I want you to be alert to that because I'm going to talk about them interchangeably. So whenever I talk about Babylon or Babylon the Great, I'm talking about the great prostitute and vice versa. And sometimes I'll talk about the woman and her. But it's all the same person. And they all are referring to the world in the aspect of the world that is designed by Satan to appeal to us and to lull us away from Christ. Today we continue the same context that we were in last week. The only shift is that whereas last week we looked at the fall of Babylon, so this is a vision of Babylon's fall at the end of history, And that's what we looked at last week. Again, Babylon's the great prostitute. And we saw last week the reaction of those who loved her and they're lamenting her loss. This week we look at the reaction of those who hate her. That's why the sermon is entitled Rejoicing in Her Fall. The passage, as I said, is the end of 18, the beginning of 19, but I'm just going to read the end of 18 now, and then we'll talk about that. And then I'm going to read the beginning of 19, and we'll talk about that. So, the end of 18, 18, 20 to 24. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, For God has given judgment for you against her. Then 
Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no, no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who had been slain on earth. So, I'd like to break this into three chunks and look at each of these chunks individually before we go on to chapter 19. The first chunk is just the first verse, verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So, while others are lamenting her destruction, believers here are called to celebrate and rejoice. As we read of the saints rejoicing over the fall of Babylon, here we ought to remember, as we read of that here, we ought to remember what we had just a few chapters ago in chapter 11, when the wicked were rejoicing over the murder of the two witnesses, which represented Jesus' witnessing church. And they, why were they rejoicing? Because the preaching of the gospel was tormenting them. So here, you know, in chapter 11, we have this scene where the wicked are rejoicing over these martyred uh, depictions of the church and of the evangelizing, witnessing church, and now the church is rejoicing over the judgment of the wicked. They not only rejoiced over them, the wicked not only rejoiced over the two witnesses, but they made merry, if you remember. They actually exchanged presents with one another to celebrate. Clearly, the party didn't last. In the end, the tables are turned. And it's the believers who do the celebrating. And he who laughs last, laughs best. I don't want to give you the impression, though, that God rejoices in the suffering of the wicked. The delight in Babylon's suffering is not over this. It's not over the suffering of the people, but over the demonstration of God's justice. The demonstration of the integrity of Christians' faith and God's just character. And this is important. This rejoicing does not arise out of a selfish spirit of revenge but out of a fulfilled hope that God has defended his honor 
the honor of His just name by not leaving sin unpunished and by showing His people to have been in the right all along. And the verdict rendered by the godly world against them to have been wrong. The next verse, verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Now, I think all of us when we were young and some of us when we were older have played with rocks when we're around a river or a sea. And there's just something fun about taking as big a rock as you can carry and throwing it into the water because it has a certain impact that is beyond something you can even hear. It's something you feel. There's a drama in it. And all of us have... Isn't it cool to know that this has been happening for thousands of years? That even back in Bible times, they were throwing rocks into the water and thinking that was cool. So that's the image that he uses here to demonstrate, to illustrate the fall of Babylon. This mighty angel picks up a stone like a great millstone, throws it into the sea, and saying, that's what it's going to be like when Babylon, the great city, is thrown down and it won't be found anymore. Well, that's one thing about the, when he, that experience. You throw those rocks in, they don't come back. You know, you don't just wait there and say, oh, it's coming back to the surface. No, it's gone. It's down there. This picture of the great stone being thrown into the water, seen, and this is just so cool, it seems to be based on a passage in Jeremiah, chapter 51, verses 63 to 64, where Jeremiah, you know, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, commands his servant to tie a stone to a scroll of the prophecy of Babylon's judgment. This is the real political Babylon, but obviously that's a picture of this Babylon here. So he ties a stone to the scroll that that announces the judgment on Babylon and then throw it into the middle of the Euphrates River declaring that in this same way Babylon will sink down and never rise again the similarities between that and this are just too clear to think that it's just a coincidence but if you look really carefully, you'll notice that a subtle change has occurred. Jeremiah just has it as a plain stone. But here in Revelation 18.21, it says it's a stone like a great millstone. So, this is because there's, it's not just from Jeremiah 51. But it has also, it seems, been influenced by Jesus' warning in Matthew 18, verse 6, that whoever causes his little ones to stumble would be better off having a millstone 
tied around his neck and be drowned in the sea. And you see, that's exactly what's happening here. Those who have caused the little children of Jesus to stumble are being thrown into the sea like a great millstone, just like Jesus said. That's what verse 21 is all about. Now, the next verse and a half, 22 and 23, the first half of 23, and the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. So... These things, the sound of harpists, musicians, flute players, trumpeters, craftsmen, sound of a mill, the light of a lamp, the voice of the bridegroom and bride, these are not evil things. They're all things God has given mankind to enjoy. The problem is that mankind, as they're enjoying these good gifts of God, are idolaters. And God haters. They were not enjoying these things as precious gifts of God. They were enjoying them for themselves without regard to God, without giving Him thanks for them or using them in His service. And now God's patience has run out, and the party is over. Even the happy things. The positive things, the pleasant things, the ordinary things, the necessary things will be destroyed. We must always keep this in mind as we relate to the world. We must not be taken in by the pleasant, even the pleasant things of the world and forget what Satan's agenda is and how he wants to use even pleasant things to lure us away from Christ as we enjoy God's good gifts that he gives us every day, like these things, we ought to remember what all the things of the earth are. Future trash. Future rubble. Future ashes. They are useful and precious for a time, but only a limited time. They have no enduring value. And then the third and final section of Revelation 18, the second half of 23 and 24, where he actually lists the three reasons why Babylon the Great is being judged. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. So the first reason here for Babylon's destruction is that her merchants were the great ones of the earth. The point here is that these merchants were full of themselves. 
They thought of themselves as great ones. They were concerned only for their own glory instead of acting as servants of God and stewards of what He'd given them. This can be seen in the fact that the kings and merchants and shipmasters in last week's passage all lamented when the great prostitute was thrown down because now, with her removed, they had nothing to live for. The chief purpose of humanity, you see, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Not to glorify oneself. Not to enjoy one's own achievements. It is indeed idolatrous to see oneself as great. Only God is truly great. And when any person thinks of himself as great, it's obvious that he is not thinking about God. Because when you think about God and compare yourself to Him, you are anything but great. To focus on humanity as the center of everything and to forget about God is actually the very heart of human sin. The second reason that we're given here for Babylon's judgment is that all the nations were deceived by her sorcery. Of course, we could this probably has a, a general meaning just that her deceptions lured people away from God and, and that's the reason for judgment. But um, we certainly, you know, we don't talk about sorcery a lot, not just in the church, but in our society. But there are other places in the world where This is a very, not just a common thing to talk about, it is actually a common thing for people to experience. I remember when we were um, in Senegal, in in Dakar, and our son got sick and we had to go to a, um, a hospital there. Instead of having a chaplain who was available, making himself available to help people who were sick, there was a witch doctor who was there to, you know, anybody need my services? And, you know, talk to Margaret. She knows. Talk to Fabrice. The, the, talk to Michelle or Ben. They, there's uh, many places in the world where sorcery is a real issue. And then the third reason why Babylon is judged that we're given here is in verse 24. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you know, sometimes when they find a, a big shark or something, they cut it open and they look at what, all the things that it had ingested. Um, and sometimes some very strange things. Well, that's sort of what this is about. This this great Babylon, this great prostitute, um, what's found in her? The blood of the prophets, the saints, and all those who have been slain in the earth. So here, 
we find uh, this another mention of how God's judgment is driven by the persecution of his people. His people's blood is found in her belly, in her digestive system. She ate them. She consumed them. And this is part of what incites God's anger against her and brings judgment upon her. And as you know, um, a vast number of God's precious children down through the ages have been killed for their faith all over the world. And it continues today. And this isn't just referring to that. I don't think, I think it's referring to all the mistreatment, the abuse, the rejection, the scorning, the, the uh, punishment of God's people for their righteous deeds and their righteous testimony. Much like what we saw in Revelation 11 where the anger of the world was so great against the witnesses because they were tormented by their testimony. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble, Jesus says, you'd be better off to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. How much worse if you not only cause them to stumble, but you mock them and belittle them, abuse them and even murder them. Now, There's really an interesting contrast before we go into chapter 19. There's a really interesting contrast here in chapter 18 between the grieving of the lost over the judgment of Babylon and the rejoicing of the saints over the judgment of Babylon. The lost, we saw last week, grieve over Babylon's fall because, why? Remember? Because it affected their personal earthly prosperity. The saints, on the other hand, we see here, rejoice over Babylon's destruction, not merely because it vindicates them or is, in, or is advantageous to them in some way, but especially because it demonstrates the righteousness and justice of God in dealing with evil. They do not rejoice because they have won at the expense of others, but because God has been vindicated. What ultimately distinguishes the lamenting of the wicked and the celebration of the righteous is the willingness or unwillingness to acknowledge God and give Him the honor and worship that He's due. That's the great difference between these two races of people. The lost are completely wrapped up in their own self-interest. Even the destruction of the entire world system concerns them only because of its devastating effect on their own fortunes. And so it is in our man-centered society. 
which refuses to recognize God as, as the center of all things and instead pursues earthly prosperity, earthly pleasures, and earthly popularity without regard to what is right and wrong, without regard to the welfare of others, without regard to God and what He thinks or says. Now, let's move to chapter 19. And this, in this, we sort of go back to the first phrase of the passage we just finished, which talked about the people of God rejoicing in God's judgment of the great prostitute. This is what it says. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying Amen, Hallelujah and from the throne came a voice saying Praise our God you all you his servants you who fear him, small and great then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out Hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns the first thing to say here is that this adventure that we call life no matter how many tears fall in the process has a very happy ending for believers in Christ in the end there is relief there is joy there is vindication there is final victory there is great reward the entire assembly of God's people praise Him at the consummation of history for His judgment of the world and for the salvation of His people, both accomplished by His mighty power. And this is a great encouragement to us as we live through times of uncertainty and tribulation and grief. Knowing that in the end, Everything wicked, which now may, may seem to us virtually unconquerable, will be brought so low, it makes our burdens seem manageable by giving us a sense of proportion, along with courage and confidence and patience. The next, the second thing I want to point out in this passage and Revelation 19 is that the word which characterizes this celebration is the word hallelujah. I have just read you in Revelation 19, 1 to 6, all four times that this word is used in the New Testament. Hallelujah is a very interesting word. It's actually two Hebrew words put together. 
Hallelu is a Hebrew verb meaning praise. I remember conjugating this verb in Hebrew class in seminary. Hallel, Halali, Hallelu, Halalna. The second part of the word is Yah. Yah is a shortened version of Yahweh, the name God called himself when he was talking to Moses, which meant, I am that I am. So the word is a combination of Hallelujah and Yah, which means praise Yahweh, praise Jehovah, often translated praise the Lord with capital letters. Now I've heard that Hallelujah is the only word on the face of the earth which is the same in every language. That Christians in every language spoken on earth recognize this word hallelujah. So, if you ever meet a Christian and you don't speak in any language in common, you'll know there's one word that he will understand. And that's the word hallelujah. And I just... uh, When I learn about this word, I just, it makes me love the Hallelujah Chorus even more as we sing the glory of that great final day and with many, many Hallelujahs. The next thing that I'd like to uh, point out in this last section is uh, how it refers again to the persecution as the basis, one of the important bases of this judgment. In verse 2, it says, He has avenged the blood of his servants on her. That is, on the great prostitute. God has avenged the blood of his servants on this Babylon. And again, we see that this is a major cause for his judgment. In fact, it seems that this whole judgment that we see here at the end of the book of Revelation is largely an answer to the prayers of the suffering saints that we read about in chapter 6, 9, and 11 when they prayed, O sovereign Lord, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So here again we see how personally God takes the persecution of his people. Like a man when someone messes with his wife or someone messes with one of his children. And that's exactly who God's people are. His bride, his wife, his children. The first missionaries we ever sent out as a church were Mark and Kelly Thompson. Some of you remember them. Kelly's dad was a local pastor named Dick Overgaard. One day he told me a story about something which happened when Kelly was a young toddler. He heard a commotion and ran outside and found his little daughter screaming on the ground underneath one of their roosters who was pecking at her mercilessly. After rescuing his little daughter and bringing her inside to be cared for by her mother, he went back out to deal with the rooster. He not only killed the rooster, he said, he destroyed it so severely that he claimed there was nothing left to dispose of after he was done. Now, 
This story of the rooster is to this day one of Kelly's favorite stories to remind her, even though her father passed away a few years ago, to remind her of how much her father loved her. And thus, these passages should be for us. When we see the fury of God's wrath and His justice and His judgment upon His enemies... And see how frequently it is mentioned that this, that the thing that fires this vengeance is his love for his people, is the persecution that these people had the audacity to commit against his precious ones. It is a sign and signal to us of the great love that God has for his people. And It is not an arbitrary or capricious anger. It goes hand in hand with his justice and righteousness. He does not take delight in the death of the wicked. As we said earlier, he delights in his justice and his righteousness and does not leave sin unpunished. But... We must also see the great love that spurs him on to to administer this vengeance against those who have abused his children. Well, the contrast couldn't be more clear in this section of the book of Revelation. There are two realms, and we must belong to one or to the other. Jesus said this over and over again. Whoever is not with me is against me. And James says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Colossians 1.13 tells us that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So here are those two realms, the domain of darkness and the kingdom of his beloved son. In Revelation, these two realms are depicted as two women, the great prostitute who seduces people into sin and the bride of Christ made ready for her marriage to Christ upon his return. They are also depicted as two great cities, Babylon the Great and the New Jerusalem. And just as God's people are pictured as the new Jerusalem, so the world here is depicted as like a new Babylon. In most of the New Testament, these two dominions are spoken of as present realities. But in this book of Revelation, we also see their future destinies. The new Jerusalem descending out of heaven in glory, built on an unshakable foundation. Babylon the Great, thrown down and destroyed. In the end, those who invested their lives in her have no meaning, no hope, no anchor, no God. It has all vanished in smoke. No wonder they lament. They gave up their all for her and they end up with nothing. This is God's warning. And he tells us this explicitly a few verses before we started today in chapter 18, 4 and 5. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. 
lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Those wishing to be saved must leave Babylon or suffer her fate. And of course, as we said last week, leaving Babylon does not mean physical isolation. It has to do with the heart. We have to live in this world. We can't separate ourselves from it outwardly. But in our hearts, we must separate from it. We must be of Christ, not of the world. As Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for reminders of your great love for your people. We thank you for the warnings that you give because of the love you have for your people. And we pray, O Lord, that by your grace we would indeed distance ourselves from this world in our own hearts. That you would shield us from its temptations. That you would help us to remember Christ, our captain, when we face its lures and its enticements. That we would be able to see it for what it is, dear Lord. Not beautiful and attractive and appealing, but evil and ugly and destructive and satanic. Please help us, O Lord. Thank you now for the privilege to come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ and remember what he did for us upon the cross, where he gave his own body and blood that we might become his and belong to him and put our hope in him and have his presence and favor with us always. Now as we come, we pray that you would stir in our hearts that we might feed upon Christ even as we feed upon these symbols of him. We pray in Jesus' name.